Uh, Michael Bublé, thank you very much for your time for today. Now, you won't remember this, but I interviewed you 15 years ago for the release of your debut album on 143 Records. And people said to me, who's Michael Bublé? And I said, ha, 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 you wait. Really? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Really, say no, that? really, honestly, I said that because my ex-wife was a big fan of yours. And I said, you wait, you will find out. It's been a heck of a journey over the past 15 years. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Go ahead. Your beard is so marvelous. <laughs> did you have that beard when we met? You did not, did you? No, it no. It is incredible. Thank um, you. There's, I'm filled with rage, a little bit of jealousy, and a lot of resentment that you can do that and I can't. Well, my current girlfriend likes it. <laughs> <laughs> well, your ex couldn't have been all that bad if she liked Michael Bublé. Uh, it's amazing, man. It's like, you know what? Uh, honestly, I think that... Uh, I think in the weirdest way, I finally, I finally kind of gotten comfy with it, you know, really. And not just, I've really, I, I, um, I've been through a lot. I've had great context given to me, perspective, and that perspective has taught me that all of it is crap, you know, that there are only a few things that actually matter and, yeah. uh, and I mean, listen, you can have integrity in your work and you can care. And you can want fulfillment in your job, but when it comes down to it, and you're in that room, and you're alone, and you have those questions of life, and what is really important, it comes down to love and family. And um, once you have enough, you should pursue those things, because uh, the other things will never bring you happiness. And I'm just, I'm just really happy. The first album, you put up half a million dollars because David Foster, who's co-produced your new album, I love that you know this. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't produce you unless you came up with a half a million dollars well, for yeah, production. Nor, nor him or anyone else in the universe. He wasn't. Uh, it wasn't like he was uh, uh, special in, in in turning me down and turning me away. Every I had gone to every record company, every agency, uh, every man, and they had every one of them had the same script and the same thing. They said. You're a nice young kid, really talented kid. Uh, we just don't see uh, the, the, the monetary benefit in, in uh, signing you. So where did you get the money from? Did you go to the bank and say, listen, I'm a really good singer. Honestly, can I have half a million dollars, please? I had a note from David saying that he would, uh, that he would produce a CD on spec. And we actually went, literally, walked bank to bank, me and my manager at the time. And we found uh, a man, a financial uh, planner, uh, who just had heard an independent record that I had mm -hmm. and had come to see me at nightclubs that I had played there for years. And uh, he came up with the money. It's crazy. It's so crazy. I mean, these yeah. stories are all crazy. Everybody goes through their trials and tribulations. But uh, I, think the, I think the person that was most surprised was, was, the producer, was David because I don't think he ever thought we would show up with the money. I think he, I think he thought that he was going to get rid of me and that I would, you know, get, you know, the pain in his butt was gone. And yeah. uh, when we showed up and said, okay, we have the money, it was like, oh God, you, you have the money, let's do it. And then, of course, um, we, ended up, we never ended up using the money because he ended up taking me, I used to go and uh, open for all these different acts and I, I had to happen to go and open for Jay Leno in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, while I was there, David had been having dinner with Paul Anka. And uh, early the next morning, uh, David and his wife at the time, and Paul and his girlfriend at the time, they brought me over to the villa they were staying in. And uh, David pulled up a piano. They literally pulled the piano into the room. David started to play My Way. 
And he said, okay, Paul, he called him Squank. Okay, Squank. I don't know why he called him Squank, but to this day, David calls Paul Anka Squank. He said, hey, Squank, uh, what do you want to hear? And Squank, uh, Paul Anka said, uh, uh, what do you think, uh, maybe uh, your kid, you know my way? And I said, yeah, I, I know my way. So David started, and I say, And now the end is near, and so I face. And he stopped me, and Paul said, uh, Hey, David, what do you need? Whatever you need, let's do it. And uh, uh, Paul became the executive producer of the first, uh, the first uh, album, and Warner Brothers ended up signing me. And it was really funny is that there was a woman that worked at Warner Brothers, and her job was to guesstimate how many copies I would sell in the lifetime of a project. So they would budget with, with this in mind. So the guess was that in the, pro- the, the life of the project was, I believe, four to six records that I would sell from 50 to 100,000 copies. Ah. And so they, they budgeted for that. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny because now this woman, that, that, that was her job, she actually works for me. Fifteen years later, she she she's uh, she works in my management office, and uh, so I, I remember a few years ago I said like Joe I said what <laughs> like what would, what were you thinking like you know fifty to hundred thousand copies and she said listen chicken she said you had your your single was Spider Man what the hell did you think we were gonna you were gonna sell I thought you were garbage so <laughs> that's the truth and sixty million records later. It's unreal. Thank yeah. you, beautiful people out there. Yeah, I was going to talk about the uh, album Love um, because that's the new album. It's a collection of classics plus one of your own songs as well. Um, I've asked you this before, but again, could you explain how you go about choosing a classic song and then making it your own? Well, it's, it's a good question. This, I think this album was different than any other album. I mean, the experience that I had gone through, my wife and my, my family... Um, I just had no room for, for anything else. I just looked at this world that we're in and with what I was going through and what I could see happening in, in the world, in Europe, um, in America, I could see it happening racially. I could see it happening with divisiveness and religion, with different movements that, that even divided men and women. Uh, mm. I, I just felt like I needed to just make some baby making music you know that just didn't hurt anybody just really romantic beautiful stuff that that was going to promote kindness and inclusivity and 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 love pardon the pun and uh i i really chose each song carefully every single one was a a small sort of film if you will uh, a small uh really cinematic story and each one was a short story which would encompass my theory on on the craziness that that is love the good the dark the light and every single song is a journey and because of what i went through i felt like i really was able to walk in to each song to delve in and to inhibit each character within the song and to become them and i mean not just the man singing to the woman but the woman the couple the uh and and i was able to really choose carefully and curate so that this album would have a through line a real through line like since the christmas record i had never had a record that was a concept record and it was kind of my dream to have a concept record i think for me those concept records are the greatest 
you know, when they're about that one thing and the through line is that one thing and people know when they go to buy it or now when they stream. I love that somebody can go and say, Siri, play me love songs. Yeah. And you know what you're you're going to get. You're, I'm not saying it's all romantic. It's, some of it's painful, but you, you know you're going to get you're going to get that concept. I heard a quote yesterday, funnily enough, and mm. I thought I'll ask you this, see if it's true. It's from Charles Aznavour, mm. and he said, "You don't choose the music; the music chooses you." Do you think that's true? I do. I absolutely think it's true, and I think that more than ever, I, it's funny. I didn't choose. These a lot of these songs are not my favorite songs, which is very strange. Songs like La Vie en Rose, I, I never, I didn't, I didn't not, I, I didn't have a distaste. I didn't care for them as much as I liked other songs, My Funny Valentine. Mm. But they did choose me. They chose me because I I knew conceptually I could build a mood and an arrangement around the the, the lyrical content of the song and. I could turn them into, I hope, better, better versions than than what I felt the originals were. At least for me, that's just my own personal. I'm not saying I did better versions. I'm saying that I wanted to like them more, and I wanted to fall in love with the songs more. And uh, Charles As, I like Charles. As it's funny, you know. I sing a Charles Aznavour song all the time, and Gee. just uh, no. I think did he? Um, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's someone else I'm thinking of. It's, Charles has the voice like she maybe the face I can't forget. Yeah, but there's I I have my my, hey, my you can do it, I, I have can a do month it. old daughter, <laughs> and every every night I put her to sleep and yeah. I and I sing, thank heaven for little girls. Maurice Chevalier. Maurice Chevalier. I'm mixing up old French people. <laughs> I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Easily done. But Look. I did love him in the Pink Panther. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can we just move on because. My favorite track on the album is La Vie en Rose. Ah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it's to me, it's boozy, it's drunk. It sounds like it's being played on a scratchy old gramophone record for a 1930s radio. Yeah, I, the, the concept to that was really a mirror of my, my life with my wife. And I, there's a movie called An American in Paris. Mm -hmm. And this song was An American in Paris. It's for me and my idea of this character of this, you know, this kind of, you know, ugly American walking through the streets of Paris with this beautiful, sophisticated Parisian woman. And we start, what I did was I, I wrote these counter melodies and I begin the song in English with this dirge kind of a groove, really slow dirge. And I imagine we're walking through the street and I had her starting to sing, to answer me in French with these counter melodies. And then as we turn, I start to, she starts to sing in French and I started to answer her in, with my English uh, counter melodies, we have this wonderful sort of dance in the, in the middle of the streets. Yeah. I, I wanted for the character to completely assimilate to her culture. And that's why both of us end up walking out hand in hand singing in French. There are a couple of Nat King Cole classics, Unforgettable and When I Fall in Love. The orchestra that features on the album, they are magnificent, especially the, the, the opening few bars of When I Fall in Love, which is really good. Um, who are they, by the way? You, you really don't know who they are? You know, I, I will tell you something. I, I'm very serious about wanting to, 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 to balance my family life and my, my work life. And technology has made that absolutely incredible. Those songs were produced 
well, I, I actually produced along with David. David was in Los Angeles at his, at his home. I was in the zoo in Buenos Aires. And we had the orchestra here in London. And I was on a phone app where I could hear the conductor and the, the, um, the orchestra. And I gave notes for four hours. I, watched my, I walked my kids around the zoo, showing them the animals, and then stopping and saying, uh, bar six, we have a rub between, I think, the violas and the, I believe, the violins. And literally, the conductor saying, yes, we do. OK, look, can we run that again? And it was the most magical thing. And at the end of the session, uh, they played it so, be so beautifully. Uh, David and I spoke. We asked if we could have the ear of the musicians, and we told them how much it meant for us to uh, to to actually to be uh, to be able to to play along with such a high grade of musicians, uh, and what it meant for us uh, to, in their professionalism. And uh, and I and I and yeah, and I told them that we were actually. I said, you know, I'm at the zoo with my kids, and. Thank God for technology. I can be here at the zoo and actually producing a record like this. And the coolest part was that uh, as we were looking at these rhinoceroses, uh, excuse me, hippopotamuses, I could hear them tapping their bows for me in the, in the studio, uh, sort of saying thank you back. And, uh, and uh, what a, an incredible thing that today that you can actually make a record like that. Let's finish by talking hockey or ice hockey, as we call it in this mm -hmm. Country mm -hmm. hockey's played on grass. Mm -hmm. Ice hockey's played Not on grass. Not unless you're the Nottingham. <laughs> What's the Nottingham team? Panthers. I, the Nottingham Panthers. Yeah. I skated with the Nottingham oh, Panthers. I did. Yeah. Um, you've been a fan of the Vancouver Canucks uh, all your life. Canucks. Ca how do you say that? Canucks. Canucks. How do you say it? Canucks. Canucks. But I can say Canucks. <laughs> I do. And since 2008, you've co-owned the Vancouver Giants. Now I realise they don't play in the same league. But is that a bit like supporting <laughs> Manchester City and owning Manchester United? You know what it is? I can tell you exactly. So the day I bought the Vancouver Giants and I became a, a, a minority owner of the Vancouver Giants, I say that it's important because I felt like I was the biggest, richest, most iconic, fancy, dancy guy in the universe. And I came home that day feeling like an impresario. Uh, feeling like a, uh, a, a mogul. But what I don't, didn't realize was that a mogul was also just a bump on a ski hill. And uh, I was watching The Simpsons that night, and there was an episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns loses his billions, and he becomes just a millionaire. And so he goes to go to the billionaire's club, and he can't get in. So they send him to the millionaire's club. And as he's about to walk into the door of the millionaire's club, this man opens the door and says, Welcome to the millionaire's club. I own a minor league hockey team. <laughs> And I was put in my place so quickly. And it literally, I was like, I think God just did that. God just placed this Simpsons episode to teach me humility. Brilliant. Um, the new album from Michael Bublé, it's called Love. It's out on the 16th of November. It's been a real, real pleasure talking to you today. Oh, Thank you so much, so much for your time. Fun. Thank you. And all you listen, I love you very much.